Well, we're going to begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to apply principles of of inductive Bible study to the book of 3 John. And I ask you to guide our discussion today. Guide us as we look into your word and uh, see what your word has for us. Just pray that you guide and direct and uh, that all will uh, go well. And um, Lord, that you would be instructing us as we look at your word today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. So we've been going through inductive Bible study and looking at the principles, and we've been workshopping the principles, all right? We've talked about it in concepts, in principle. Well, what does this look like when applied to an individual text? Last several weeks, about a month or so, we've been uh, looking through Jonah chapter 1 and looking at a variety of things. Well, today we're moving on from Jonah, and we're going to look at some New Testament texts. We're going to look at Third John, and I've got some printouts for you of to try to make it easier, hopefully, to compare translations side by side. I guess you kids want some too, huh? So there's two pages there. You got four translations in front of you. You want one? There you go. And, uh, Yeah, I, there are. They don't have these four. Yeah, I, I the, the most the most common ones I see are going to be like King James, NIV, and then you're it's a it's a grab bag after that with what what the options are. But my dad had one that was King James, New American Standard, NIV, and Amplified. Yeah. You usually end up with a couple of obscure translations because a lot of... That's a discussion I don't want to get into right now. <laughs> uh, yes, there's, there's copyright issues at play. Not everybody wants to play the game. So that, that's just an annoying thing. But as we've gone to discuss, we've got the three stages of Bible study, right? There's inter- uh, observation, interpretation, and application. And those are the three major steps of Bible study, inductive Bible study. We've been workshopping these. Well, we're going to workshop them again today with the book of 3 John. And we're just going to do interpret, or, uh, sorry, observation today. And the book that we used broke observation down into five sub-steps. And the first of those sub-steps is to compare translations. Right away, this is going to clue us in. Hey, you know what? There may be some differences in translation, and there's reasons for that. Why do different translations render things differently? Is it just stylistic? Is there uh, ambiguity, perhaps, with the way a particular word is translated? How are we going to do this? So as you look over your translations, I want us to try to highlight, okay, hey, here's, here's a word or a phrase that is rendered differently that seems to be a little bit more than just a stylistic difference. There may be some similarity in meaning, but it just, there may be some more than just a stylistic difference at play here that could warrant doing a little bit of a deeper dive on that word or phrase. The purpose of this is to clue us in, hey, If there's a difference of translation across multiple translations, maybe that's a word that I need to study more to have an accurate and a proper understanding of this particular text. So that's what we want to do. So let's just look at this. Let's just look at the first paragraph, verses 1 through 4, and let's just focus our attention there for the moment. We'll move on to other paragraphs momentarily. But is there anything in those 
verses, verses 1 through 4, that's translated significantly differently that is worth noting. Not particularly. There's a couple of minor things you could say. You know, you might look at uh, the difference in verse 2 between, I, I pray that all things may go well with you versus all things may prosper. Uh, I pray that you may prosper and be in good health. Uh, you know, that word prosper may have particular connotations in some circles. So it'd be worth paying attention. Yeah, not, not, not so much our circles, right? But you, we think of the prosperity gospel. This is a favorite verse of the prosperity gospel. God wants you to prosper. It's right here in the text. It says it right there. I pray that you may prosper in all things. Well, is that what that actually means? Is, that, is, is the meaning that the prosperity gospel advocates place upon that text, is that what it means? So that would be, could be worth looking at, and so that's where comparing the translations might help. Oh, look, that it may go well with you. He's just, he's just praying for positive things in your life, right? That's I was going to say, I think the ESV kind of softens that, and maybe they, did, maybe they made a translation choice with the ESV so as to avoid the word prosper. That's possible. But it, I think in the ESV, it seems like maybe it carries the meaning a little bit better. Like, he's not like, oh, I want material wealth for you. I said, I hope you don't trip over rocks or break your I want things <laughs> to go well with you. Yeah. Why, why it, it, this is an introduction to a letter, right? How do we write letters, like I guess I, when I'm writing emails, all the time, I trust all is well with you, or you know, I hope everything's, yeah, like I hope you're doing all right, and I, I like, it's just a, it's just the well wishes like of an introduction. It's very different. Not well, not much has changed in 2,000 years. Yeah, it, it's very different from saying, you know, God wants this prosperity in your life. Like it's it's a very different thing to say. Now we're already dipping into interpretation a little bit. We're just we're supposed to be just an observation today, uh, but that just kind of clues you in. Hey, you know maybe there's something here that that would be worth looking at a little bit closer. Okay, so that might be something. Let's look at the next paragraph because you're right. Almost everything else in the rest of that first paragraph, it's translated pretty comparably the same across the board. Now let's look at verses 5 through 8. And you'll notice that uh, most of these translations, the paragraph breakings are almost identical across the board. We'll, we'll talk about that later on. But verses 5 through 8, anything of note? Hey Barnabas. Could you get me a bottle of water? I'm not sure where I put my water bottle. I think I may have, oh, it's right back there. My water's back there. Thank you, Lily. Even five through eight, it's, I mean, there's some stylistic, you know, Gentiles versus pagans, but. Yep. Yeah, apart from that, it's, well, I don't, I don't know that it's appreciably different. What could motivate someone to translate it as pagans versus Gentiles? I think, yeah, pagan, I think, well, I think pagan carries the, the connotation of this is an unbeliever versus Gentile. Well, are they Gentile believers? Are they Gentile not believers? Yeah. So I, I could see if it's wanting to carry the idea of unbeliever, I could see the choice of pagan versus Gentile. 
Yeah, I think that's the motivation there. So the CSB is considered, it's, it's not uh, the most of the literal translations. It tries to strike a balance between the dynamic equivalent versus formal equivalent, and they shoot for what they call optimal equivalence. They're trying to make it clear that we're not just talking about just non-Jews. It's a particular group, right? It, the, the pagans. These are, these are people who are unbelievers, right? And so that, that would be something that is just worth noting. What, what, is, what does the author mean when he says the word Gentile? So, um, oh, well, there's, there, there's some slight differences in the, in the word of... Um, do faithfully whatever you do, or uh, dear friend, you're acting faithfully in whatever you do. Uh, the ESV says, in all your efforts, the NASB says, whatever you accomplish. So there's a, I find a little bit of a nuance of difference there, verse, where it's effort extended or something accomplished. Well, I mean, you do have to extend effort to accomplish something. But there's maybe a slight nuance of, of emphasis there. So that's, I think that's slight, but there's something that could be worth looking into a little bit more. Um, there's a slight difference in the wording. Some say, yeah, they have, verse 6, they have testified versus your born witness. We understand those to be pretty comparable in meaning. So I'd say that's a minor, possibly stylistic difference. Gentiles versus pagans. Um, uh, the, the, what's something that I find to be pretty interesting is at the end of verse 8, there's a difference. Fellow workers for the truth in the New King James and the ESV and then the New American Standard and the CSB both say co-workers or fellow workers with the truth. So are we working in concert with the truth or are we working for for the benefit of the truth? Is that maybe an underlying textual uh, no, I think that's a, that's a difference in how, how, do we, how do we translate the, um, the, part of the, uh, the uh, preposition. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a translation, uh, a preposition difference. There is a manuscript difference where it says they went out for the sake of the name in the NASB, in the ESV. Uh, let's see here. For the sake of... For his name. For his name in the... In the end, uh, that's in the New King James, right? I'm, I've lost like it King here. James, you're making sure that Jesus isn't taken out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's where there's a, a textual difference, right? His name versus the name. Well, that's, does, it doesn't have a significant impact upon the meaning of the text, but there would be a, de a textual difference there. Let's go on to the next paragraph. 9 through 10. What do we see there? And something I like to do when I, I, I used to do that, I don't do this as much as I used to, but I used to print out these, these sorts of things all the time, and I would take a highlighter, and I would highlight all the differences, and then I would just kind of make note of them. So that's, I like to mark up my printouts. It is a little bit, but it's, I find it helpful to go just verse by verse, all right, or phrase by phrase, and read it across. It's helpful that all the paragraph breaks are essentially in the same place. So that's helpful to, for easy reference. But you see in verse 9, Diotrephes, who loves to have, what, what does Diotrephes love to have? Preeminence or, preeminence. Preeminence or first place. Okay. 
So yeah, that, that essentially means the, f the same thing. So if we're confused by the language of preeminence, okay, first place. Yeah. But then what does he do? What does he not do, rather? Does not receive us. Okay, that's an interesting concept. Okay, that's different. Different still. Yeah. So, but there's a slight difference. He does not accept us. Well, what does that mean? Well, does not receive our authority, does not accept our authority, doesn't uh, accept what we say. It kind of does seem like two different things a little bit. So that's where, okay, now we've made an observation. This is where comparing the translations is helpful. We've made an observation. That's a pretty significant difference. Does not accept us or does not accept what we say, does not accept our authority. Does not receive us. Does not receive us. He yeah. Is this he's just not being neighborly or he's rejecting their teaching? Now we're making observations, questions that we need to answer when we get to interpretation. So these are things to mark. When you go to verse 10, there's a difference in 10 as well. Mm -hmm. the, the New King James says, I will call to mind his deeds. The CSB, I will remind him of the works he's doing. Yes. I will... The, but the ESV, I will bring up what he is doing. And in the NASB, I will call attention to his deeds. So am I going to expose what he's doing to the church? Right. Or am I going to rebuke him personally? Yeah. Seems to be a, there seems to be a difference there, right? So that's, okay, yeah, something that we need to make note of and press in on. If we're going to understand this rightly, this is something that we need to do a little more study on to see what's going on there. The next phrase is, again, there's, this, is, this is the paragraph with the most translation differences of the whole letter, this paragraph right here, okay? So I will call to mind, or I'll, I'll remind him what he's doing, okay? Then the next phrase is, it describes the things that he is doing. What is he doing? Against us with malicious words. Yep. I don't know this word, it's, uh, it's, okay, it's, Yeah, that's a note of some, okay, I need to look at this closer. What does this word mean? Yep. I'm, I'm intentionally trying not to get into the interpretation. We're just making observations. Yeah. Do the other translations help us understand that? What, what do the other translations say? With? Okay, so malicious words is the same across those two. Okay, then the... Against us. Against us. Now that, that, that word against us is important because that's where you get the idea of slander. That's why the other translations bring in the word slander is because it's against us. It's not just, okay. That's different a little that's bit. Yeah. So, the, but if it's, if it's slander, that would be unjust. So, okay, all right. So, again, is there, is there an underlying textual issue here? Is there uh, just a stylistic difference? Is there ambiguity with the translation? Things we need to note that warrant further study when we get into the interpretation phase when we're answering our questions. And then, let's see, uh, not content with that, let's see, uh, well, that's all I put there. Not content with that, he does not receive the brethren, he does not, he refuses to welcome fellow believers, he refuses to welcome the brothers, or he does not receive the brethren, that's pretty similar across. 
And then he forbids them from entering, forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. He stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. He even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. And he forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So there's maybe, it's pretty similar across the board there. And really, as we get into the rest of the verses, the translations are pretty similar. The majority of the differences are in that central paragraph, which is the heaviest part of the letter right there. So uh, the rest of it is going to be pretty comparable. For the sake of time, I'm going to move us forward. But this is the usefulness of comparing the different translations. Okay, there's some differences here. Uh, let's, Let's press in and start asking some questions. Having made some observations, some of the translation differences across, having looked at these things, what are some questions that we could ask of the text that would help inform us of what's going on in the text? Now, some of this might have to do with the translation differences that we saw. Some of this might just have to do with the content of the letter itself. So, for example, the very first question that might be useful to ask is, who wrote the letter? At it says the elder. The elder. Yeah, the elder. Who is the elder? That's a question that warrants further study. All right, I need to see, is there information, and, and we may have to rely upon tradition and church history to try to help answer this question, but traditionally, there is an answer to this question. The name of the book is Third John, so we do understand this book to be written by the Apostle John, but it's something that's like, okay, that's interesting. He doesn't put his name in there. He just says it's from the elder. Is that intentional to be, this isn't about me, this isn't about them, or is it just that's the elder? A question for further study. So, I'm, I'm intentionally not answering questions today. Oh, I'm, I, say, I, I know some of it, what he was called the elder because it was assumed that this was written toward the end, or maybe around the same time as Revelation, and he would have been the last surviving apostle. I'm talking about that right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You okay? (laughs) Oh. Yeah, they are on. Uh, I checked the lights earlier. So that might be a question we could ask. Uh, Who is the letter written to? Okay, now who's Gaius? Well, yeah, that might be something that we could start pressing in. Yeah, we just, is there any information in any other text in anywhere that would help us understand who Gaius is? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. It's a question for further study. I mean, Gaius is a Roman name. So. Yeah. A very generic Roman name, but but an explicitly Roman name nonetheless. What other questions could we ask that might get us into understanding the meaning of this text? Why is he writing this in the first place? Why is he writing this letter? Do I have that? There we go. (laughs) There we go. Why did the elder write? What was the purpose of the letter? Okay, now there's... Clues to that in the text itself, because we see the content of the letter kind of helps us understand why he's writing, but we're not answering that question today. We're asking the question, and then we'll come back to that when we get into interpretation. Anything else? As you're just reading through it, as you read through the other questions that pop up, huh, why does he say this? Oh, I wonder what the relationship of this is with this other thing that I know about what God's Word says in this other area. Where is Gaius? Where's Gaius living? Where's his, what's his home church? That's a good question. Thank you. Uh, 
What the... Diotrephes is an individual person. Demetrius, these are more individuals that are named. Well, they're, they seem to be active in a particular local church. Well, where is that? Do we know that? Is there any information anywhere that would provide that? It's not in this letter in particular, but maybe there's something in church history or tradition that could shed some light on that. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but it's worth looking into for further study. Yeah, just went in church history, or it went, yeah, what, what stage? Well, yeah. Yeah, around the time. The date of the letter. What, what, what's the letter dated? That, that could be something that could be helpful to look into. Anything about the content of the letter itself? What's it about? What, what was the nature of the, the malicious slander yeah. That Diostrophes was was saying. That would be helpful to to try to understand a little bit. What's what's the deal with Diostrophes? I mean, there there's the, the question is maybe answered a little bit in the way the CSB translates it that he's just denying the authority of the disciple or the apostles to say what they're saying. But, yep. You know, what is what's the nature of the slander? Yeah. That's uh I'm, I'm gonna just you. you uh, I'm gonna throw a couple things up here for the sake of time. Who? Uh, so in verse uh, five, uh, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Well, who are these strangers he's talking about? What's what's the deal with the strangers? Uh, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. What is that? What's a manner worthy of God? What does that mean? Uh, diatrophies. What's the deal with diatrophies? All right, that's a good question to ask. Is he an apostate? Is he a false teacher? Is he someone within the church who's just being divisive? Who is this guy? Those are, those are good questions to ask. Is there any relationship or any overlap between what John has written in any of his other letters that might be helpful for this? So uh, just as a example of what this could look like. So in 2 John, John gives instructions about not associating with individuals who do not abide in the teachings of Christ. Well, does Diot- is, is that what Diotrephes is getting into? Is it something like that? Or is it a different thing altogether? What is the, so that is a relationship question to other texts, an example of that sort of thing. I wonder if just as a flow question, so the different translations break down 9 and 10 into their own paragraph and then 11 or 11 and 12 Mm -hmm. separately, which I think in the English kind of gives us this idea that it's talking about different thought trains. But I'm wondering if maybe 9 flows straight through to 12 because he's talking about and I'm looking at the CSB here, um, you know, with Diostrophes, you know, slandering, he's not satisfied, he's refusing, he's expelling, and then kind of the counterpoint, you know, dear friend, don't imitate this. Yeah. This is evil. Yes. Um, and then, but he makes point, you know, the one who is, the one who does good is of God, the one who does evil not only is not of God, but has never seen God. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's a there's, connection there that... 
Absolutely. is maybe not quite so present. I, I, I think it's, I think it, um, the fact that that begins with beloved to me indicates that this is a new paragraph, but it's definitely a response to what comes before. So it's, it's not like it's completely disconnected, but it is, it is a new paragraph. But, that's, but that is worth something worth noting. Okay, I'm making an observation here about the relationships between the paragraphs. We're going to get into that a little bit in a, in a moment. Um, so yeah, but yeah. So there, these, we're scratching the surface on questions that we could ask of the text. For the sake of time, I'm going to keep us moving. This is an exercise, a workshop for us to kind of get us familiar with how this process flows out. As we've made our observations, as we've asked questions of the text, we're pressing in, okay, okay, what are some of the significant terms that could be helpful for us to do, you know, a brief word study on these to help us understand the meaning of those particular terms to help us get the point home? I think prosper was one we had identified. Prosper, that could be a helpful one. Well, that's, did I have that one up here? No, I didn't. There's a phrase that's used a lot, or a word that's used a lot. It's the concept of truth. Gaius, I, whom I love in the truth. In 12, everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. Yep. Well, just in that first paragraph, uh, they, they testify your, to your fidelity to the truth or your faithfulness to the truth. Uh, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear my children are walking in the truth. So truth, 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 truth. Um, the, and then verse 8, co-workers with the truth or for the truth. So that's hit, hit home a lot. It seem, it, it, there seems to be a lot of connection back to even what's in, the go- in John's gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, establishing the truth and the veracity. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, truth and the life. Yeah, so that, that's a... Seems to be of great concern to John. It sure does. Maybe that's a clue for us about what, it, what Diotrephes' deal is. Just maybe. That there's an issue about the truth there. So, okay, that, that might be something that, that that phrase could be useful. Uh, what does he mean by strangers? That could, be, that could be useful to help us understand. There's a positive commendation for what you, you're doing something well. That's good. Well, this other guy, Diotrephes, is doing something bad. Well, so there's a contrast there. Uh, what does it mean to support these strangers? So in verse uh, 8, uh, nope, not verse, uh, verse I think Gentiles versus pagans could be a significant term. Ah, in verse 8, we ought to support such people in the CSB and in the ESV and in the NASB, says support. The New King James says we ought to receive such individuals. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does support or receive? What does it mean to do that for these people? That could be helpful. If there's a positive example there, it'd be helpful to know what's going on with the positive thing. The pagans, that, that question is a, is a good one to answer to figure out what's going on there. Uh, what does it mean for diatrophies to not receive or acknowledge or accept our authority or what we say or us? That phrase could be useful. To, we'll look into that phrase a little bit closer to see what's going on there.
I also put up the, uh, that phrase, uh, the bring up, to call to mind, to call attention to, to remind him. Okay? Let's, let's pre- we identified that as a difference. Okay, so now that's, that could be a significant term or phrase for us to look into. We have a command in verse 11. What's the command? Do not imitate what is evil. And then the implied positive counterpart is what is good. Imitate, imitate, what is good. imitate what is good. And in the ESV, it brings in that the double what imitate what is good. Uh, it it, it uh, imitate isn't in the original underlying text twice, but for the sake of clarity, the ESV put it in there twice. So there's there's a direct. Well, what does it mean to imitate? What does that mean? That that seems like if there's a direct command there for the church. Seems like that could be a significant term to understand what that means. We think we know what it means, and we may be correct. It's worth doing the work. This concept of testimony is, is used quite a bit. In, let's see, in verse 3, uh, the brothers came and testified to your truth. In verse... He comes back to testimony down in verse 12. He's re- Demetrius has received a good testimony. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So that concept seems like a significant term for John there. It seems like there's one more. Oh, oh, in verse 6, they have testified to your love of the church. So there's, there's, there's testimony. There's, there's a bearing witness. There's something going on here. Somebody, uh, what, is, what does it mean to testify to something? That could be useful to know what that means. Seems like a significant term for John. Now that's all. That's all I had. That doesn't mean that's all there is to look into, but that's what I had up on the board. Any anything else that jumps out right away? For sake of time, going to keep moving. Literary features. This I think is is the most difficult step to just do on our own without an additional aid to help us, just because. We don't all, our eyes aren't always trained to see literary features. There are different literary features within this letter. Some of them are actually so obvious we would overlook them and even thinking about them intentionally as a literary feature. What is the format of this book? It's a letter. It's a letter. So it contains what? What, what literary features does it have that clues us in that it's a letter? A greeting, a salutation, introductory in, remarks. Introductory remarks. It's got a from field, a to field. You know, like, then there's the main the, the main thrust, the body of it, and then there's a, a closing remarks. A closing, yeah, a closing remarks. A, a final blessing. You know, just a sentence like, "Hey, I'm just kind of closing things out." So those are some. Th- those are literary features. There are other literary features that. If we're, that, that are easy, also easy to overlook just because our eyes aren't as trained to see these sorts of things. I mean, breaking it down that way, it would seem like the main guts of the letter are 5 through, five through 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in 12, he kind of starts doing the wrap-up, similar to how Paul wraps up his letters of bringing in other people. We've yeah. heard well of him. He's good. He's one of us. Exactly. Um, so I would think then the main, the core of what we're going to get is going to be in that 
5 to 11. Yes. Not that the remainder isn't worth studying, but if we're really looking for the meat of what he's getting at, it's going to be there. Yes, I, I would agree with that. I think that's a... The, the purpose of his writing is contained in that central section, in the body of the letter, right? There's a couple of other literary... So is, is there repetition at all in this text? Beloved. Beloved is used several times. Yeah, or dear friend, depending on the translation. Yes, depending on the translation. Any other words that show up more than twice? <laughs> truth, 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 in the truth, yes. Testimony. Testimony. So okay. let's see what I had. Which is probably at least broadly or semantically related back to truth. So it probably is kind of one. Could be, could be. Maybe one idea. Oops. So there, there are several words that are repeated. So there's repetition. There's a lot, there's com, a lot of contrast. Contrast. I do have contrast on here. I'll have to skip there, through some to get to the, it. But yeah. Don't yeah. do what's evil, but what's good. Um, yes. There's also a contrast between the two individuals yeah, with the D names. Yeah, yep. Diastrophes and Demetrius. Yep. There's a pretty big contrast there, right? right. Yeah. De, de, oh, man. Everything that Demetrius is doing wrong, or uh, Diotrephes is doing wrong, it seems like Demetrius is doing right. So that's a pretty big contrast. What do I have up here? Uh, there's an escalation. Look at, look at verses, uh, verses 10, well, just verse 10, I guess. What Diotrephes is doing, uh, depending on the translation, so I'm just going to use the ESV here just for the sake of it. I'll bring up what he's doing. What is he doing? He's talking wicked nonsense against us. Okay. Well, he's not just content with that. He also refuses to welcome the brothers. Well, that's no good. Ah, but he's doing even more than that. He also stops those who want to welcome the brothers. Okay. And he puts them out of the church. He's excommunicating people for doing something that he doesn't like. Yikes. That's... I get the picture... Well, I get the picture, and this just kind of kind of hit me, or I maybe put it together in nine and ten. It looks like Diostrophes is trying to start a cult. I mean, he yeah. likes to put himself first. Yeah, he's rejecting anybody who may have authority, and rejecting anybody, you know, putting anybody out who 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 yep. who's not agreeing with him and supports Whoops. these other people. And talking wicked nonsense. Yeah. He's basically getting rid of anybody who's not in full support of him. Yeah. It's a cult. It's, a cult. It's, it's every cult of personality that we've seen across history, right? Yeah. It, all the markers are there for diatrophies. Yeah, that's... Huh? Eek. Yeah, yikes. So, yeah, um, that's a big thing. Uh, we mentioned the contrast already between diatrophies and Demetrius and then the... Do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Oh, that's a, that, verse 11 is actually an example of parallelism. There's a parallel. Do not imitate what is evil, but there's a contrast and there's a parallel. So there's, there's both of that going on. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil is not seen God. There's a parallelism it's a with that too. Chiastic structure as well. Chiastic structure, yeah. You have that A, B, B, A. Yep. 
the evil, good, good is of God, but not of, who does evil is not, yes, there's a, there's a, which is a form of, I don't know if, if, uh, if, is parallelism a form of chiastic or is chiastic a form of parallelism? Well, yeah, it's there. So there's a literary feature. It's worth noting, and this is something that we always, whenever we're doing our uh, Wednesday night study, and I hope you can see some of the overlap and the parallels between what we do on Wednesday night and what we're talking about on these, uh, these Sunday mornings. Uh, all the conjunctions... This is just a going deeper. This is, don't, this is a deeper dive, for sure. Uh, all of the conjunctions, all of the logical connecting words, just as, for, just as, since, because, therefore, therefore, not only, but also, even, but, etc., they're throughout this letter. Those are worth highlighting and making note of. These are literary features that help us understand the logical relationships between the sentences that John is writing. I say John, I'm giving away who the elder is, but it's is third John, yeah, obviously. So yeah. Um, so in verse 10, he says, therefore, well, because of what Diotrephes is doing, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, he, cannot, he not only does this, but also does that. Like there's, there's these words, these conjunctions, these, these different logical connecting words that help us understand uh, the logic of the text. There is one conditional clause. If I come, then I will do this. So we need to understand what, what class condition is that? Well, that's worth looking into for, for, for studying as we get into is interpretation. He, he will come or does he have doubts that he'll be able to come? Yeah. Because that, that could actually speak to John's condition at this point. It could. Yeah. What's the tone of verses 1 through 8 and then again in verses 11 through 14 versus the tone of verses 9 and 10? Does it sound a little bit different with his writing? Yeah. Yeah. He's got a little bit of an edge to him there in verses nine and ten, doesn't he? Well, then, yeah, and then eleven through fourteen is kind of ends on that positive, which again I wonder then if that's narrowing down even more of the focus of. Do we have a chiastic structure overall? The overall point of the book. Yeah. Well. Bum, bum, bum. Certainly have the Oreo cookie. It's certainly, there's certainly that, yes. That's true. Good news, good news, and this is a problem. Yep, yep. But yeah, it, it kind of, like I said, when we narrow down, okay, the, really the, the thrust of it's going to be in 5 through 11, well, maybe now we've narrowed it down even more of, okay, the real cause for his writing is 9 and 10. It's a big, it's a big thing. That all I have there. Okay. Well, but to see that, if you see, if you look at so, you know, Diostrophes is, it, you know, this cult of personality. You, know, you see this kind of show up throughout the New Testament. Uh, this may be kind of in interpret getting forward sure. interpretive a, a little bit, but you see where Paul is talking about. Well, something well, I follow Apollo, so I follow. Peter. Sure. Yeah. So I'm following this personality. So. That a good relationship question that we could ask if we're in asking questions, is there, is there a correlation or relationship to that teaching from 1 Corinthians? That's worth asking. Now, it's a different author in a different context, but we know that Scripture harmonizes. And yet so, the same problem. And yet the same problem. 
the last step, and we're about out of time, so I'm just going to get into this real quick. The literary units. Third John is a very short book. But does it break down into smaller units? I think it breaks down the same way that any letter would break down. Yep. There's the introduction, you know, the greeting, the introduction, or the introductory remarks, the guts, the the closing remarks, and the I'm off. Yeah. So if someone were to take chunks for teaching and studying instead of trying to do the whole letter, it's possible to do the whole letter. It's also possible to break it down. Like you said, you could break it down into the major sections that are there. There's a greeting. There's a personal note. There's a commendation of the support that they're offering to the strangers, whoever those people are. There's the condemnation of Diotrephes, the commendation of Demetrius, and then the conclusion. We could break that down and say, okay, you know what, let's study verses 1 through 4. And the next time, we're going to study verses 5 through 8. And then next time, we're going to study 9 through 10. And then the next time, we're going to study, or 9 through 11. And then we're going to study 12 through the end of the letter type of thing. We could break it down that way and look at uh, the way that it's structured to see the literary units to help us kind of more take it in chunks, but also trying to recognize that this is one letter that is short enough to see the relationships between the sections. So we don't want to get it so... Um, so, you know, broken apart that we lose the relationships between them. So this is just, this was, I mean, this is uh, what the, like rapid fire observation of just like, all right, let's just blast through as quick, very, very quickly. This whole process could take, you know, several hours if we're sitting down and just, okay, doing everything and doing a thorough job. But this is the foundation upon which then we begin to jump into the interpretation. We asked questions we identified significant terms. We identified things that, are, that warrant further study. That's what we carry with us to begin answering those questions as we get into interpretation. But, I mean, the thing is, even though this was a very, like you said, just a very rapid fire, even just the process of observation, I mean, we, you know, we saw that you know, it's carrying, it's almost just by its own force carrying us into interpretation of, oh, this yeah. is what this means. And even just the process of observation is like, oh, well, I, I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on what he's getting at and what are we looking at here. Yeah, it, it, once you start getting into it, things start to reveal themselves, right? So the uh, one aspect, you know, of something that, um, of course, yeah. This whole process should be done in prayer, you know, in seeking the Lord's guidance and the Holy Spirit, His work. Uh, this is not just, a f just an academic exercise, right? The, the point of this is life change, right? How do we're eventually going to move from observation to interpretation to that point of application and okay, how does 3 John, written from the elder to Gaius about Diotrephes and Demetrius, what does that have to do with my life here in southern Indiana in the year 2023? There's a lot of cults here. We'll get, the, yeah, so that's, that's where all of this has to get to, and we will, we will get there in future weeks. For now, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to uh, begin to practice these, uh, these principles to see, okay, how, how do we begin to break Bible study down into these steps? How do we identify what we need to identify? What, what are things that are helpful for further study? 
Lord, I, I just pray that as we go through this process, that we would be dependent upon you and your spirit to guide and direct. Lord, that you'll help us to see how this text applies to our lives. You would illumine our hearts and our eyes. Lord, I do pray, Lord, that we can submit to you and to your word. Uh, what does your word say? How do we live in light of it? Uh, we want to honor you with our handling of your word. Be good stewards of that which you have given us. Thank you again for this text, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.